Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You are listening to the Next Best Series podcast, and this is our review of Game of Thrones Season 8, Episode 2, A Night of the Seven Kingdoms. Episode of the Next Best Series, part of the Next Best Picture podcast, where we cover television. This week we are covering season eight, episode two of Game of Thrones on HBO. The title of this episode is A Night of the Seven Kingdoms. It is directed by David Nutter, written by Brian Cogman. And join me for this podcast review. I have JC Aldridge. What's up? And Josh Williams. What's going on, everybody? All right, so no Will Mavity this week. Uh, he unfortunately does not have Wi-Fi, so he was unable to join us for this episode. But he did want me to pass along a message to everyone to let you all know that he absolutely adores this episode. It's one of his favorites of the series, and he gives it a 9 out of 10. Will the rest of us feel the same way about it? We will save grades for later. We'll discuss some other things, such as our MVP of the episode, funniest lines or moments of the episode, most memorable scenes. We'll save all that to the end. Right now, I want to get general, just general reactions out of the way before we get to a scene-by-scene breakdown. So, JC, general thoughts on Episode 2 of Season 8, A Night of the Seven Kingdoms. Uh, general thoughts. So I watched this episode with a group of friends um, last night, and it was just, I mean, maybe it was the atmosphere, maybe it was just like the hot dogs in the air, but man, was me and this episode, we were in love. Like, (laughs) it also was very stressful. It's a very stressful episode, but just, I mean, the dialogue, the character development, even this far into the show... Um, everything that was building up was just so complete. Uh, I got so much of what I wanted in this episode that I had been hoping I would get. And I just, I just really loved this episode. I was so, when it ended, when those final credits came through, I literally was like, wait, it just started. I don't understand. So it just flew by in the best way possible. Really enjoyed it. Excited to talk about it. 
Okay, and Josh, what about you? Because uh, you you actually have a very uh, unique experience with the show this year. Uh, why don't you tell everybody before you give your general thoughts what you have done in preparation for season eight this year? Uh, well, what I've done in preparation of season eight is watched the entire show because <laughs> uh, prior to this year, I had never seen an episode of Game of Thrones, um, and I'd always heard everybody talk about it. And I'm a huge fan of fantasy and lord of the rings so i was i knew i would probably enjoy the show i just for some reason was lazy and never got around to watching it so shame um, i had a group of shame shame (laughs) i had a group of friends kind of pressure me into watching it so that we could all talk about it you know um at our offices and stuff so uh i finally caved and i started watching it and we blazed through the entire show and probably the span of like two months and it was it was a lot, but I, I really enjoy the show. I think it's really great. So I have definitely have a different kind of perspective seeing all of it uh, within such a short span of time. <laughs> okay. And uh, yeah, general thoughts then on A Night of the Seven Kingdoms. Yeah. Uh, I'm a little jealous. JC mentioned that she got to watch the episode with a lot of her friends. And I'm a little jealous that I did not get to see the episode with the group of friends that I watched the show with. Uh, because I know there was a lot of moments that would have had certain friends just yelling and being so happy and losing their minds about certain interactions and dialogue exchanges. Uh, but I really like the episode too. I think at first I was a little annoyed because episode one, I was, I was really hyped and I was like, okay, cool. We're getting, we're laying the groundwork. We're going to get some stuff out of the way next week. Boom. We're charging in. And then it kind of started and it was kind of more of the same of laying the groundwork. And I was like, ah, it's also your first experience with having to wait a week in between episodes, too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And so I was like, I just want to know. Try expanding that to two years, Josh. Just try. <laughs> <laughs> I'm spoiled. I'm spoiled. Matt. 580 something days. Uh, it was it was annoying because when we watched when we watched the premiere of season eight, we were upset because we were like, we can't just watch the next one. Like, we have to wait. Um, but I really like the episode. I think at first I was a little annoyed because I think I just want to know as weird as this sounds, I just want it to be over so I can know what happens. Like the anxiety and the pressure is just like so much that I need to know. Um, but it had a lot of moments that made me very happy as a viewer and as a lover of film language and stuff like that. And as you know, the writing and the direction and the performances. So uh, I think after further reflection, it's I'm probably in the boat with Will and JC. Like it's one of my favorite episodes in a long time. Yeah, I will echo that statement that this is actually one of my favorite episodes in quite a long time as well. And I want to just say for anyone that watched this episode and did not like it, I have nothing to say to you. I think they just want to know. I think I have a theory that people who didn't like it, they just want to know what's going to happen. Like, I think they just need to know who's going to die. Like, they're tired of watching people talk like they just want to know how it ends. I also think some of it maybe also lies with the fact that we're now technically a third of the way through the final season. (laughs) People know there's only four episodes left. (laughs) And so when you have an entire episode devoted to these characters that we have gone on this journey with for some of us, many, many years, it's very important to have this kind of an episode. Brian Cogman has, uh, he's the writer of the episode. He talked about how, In other battle episodes they have done in the show's past before, normally you'd kind of have 15, 20 minutes devoted to scenes such as the one that this episode is comprised of before we got to the battle in the same episode. 
for them to devote an entire episode, an entire 58 minutes to scenes of characters talking in a room with no fight scenes, no bloodshed, no body count, no CGI spectacle. There weren't even any dragons. Although we did get Ghost for a brief ghost. one second. All right. She was just like, he was just chilling in the background. So he was like out of focus. It's like, come on. I, I, don't, I don't really have the ghost hype that a lot of people what? do. I, I don't. It, to me, it's just an animal. I, I don't Wait, know. Are, it's you just an animal? Excuse me? You don't like ghosts? Get out of here. What? Mr. I want elephants in the war. <laughs> hey, I wanted those elephants, right? Yeah, I'm just we saying. Thank you, Josh. And, and, I, and I guarantee you, you will probably get a lot of ghosts next week, okay? But and for now. Get any elephants, so. Matt, one of my favorite moments in the entire show is in season four when the wildlings invade the wall and John is like, I need him more than I need you. And Sam goes and lets out the ghost and goes starts attacking wildlings. That's one of my favorite moments in the show. I'm very, very happy for you. Thank you. So, is so moving on, what I was trying to get at here was <laughs> this episode is phenomenal. This episode has some of the strongest writing that the series has seen probably since the season six finale, Winds of Winter. Mm. And a lot of that is because a lot of the groundwork that was laid in episode one, where we thought all of a sudden we were going to get more of these very intense or action-filled moments. I guess that's all you know being saved for next week. Instead, we kind of got more of the foundation and the setup laid out before us. But even more so than that, they took the time to have characters reflect yeah. on where they are and also contemplate their intimate death as well. And I think that there's a great deal of humanity that shines through. And we also saw some completion of character arcs that really gave this episode a tremendous sense of dread and foreboding for who we are possibly going to lose next week. Because honestly, for some of these characters, I don't know what else there is left for them to do other than fight and die. I think something at the, to complement this episode, I think something that sets this show, especially with this episode apart from a lot of other shows is that, the willingness to have an episode like this, and I know it's only been not even 24 hours since the episode premiered, but the I feel like a lot of TV shows don't take the time to kind of relish in some of the moments that this episode has. Like there's a lot of moments where we get to see characters that we want to interact, interact and have very important moments and very important character decisions that make total sense from the writer's perspective and from the actor's perspective. And I think that a lot of shows suffer that emotional connection with, by not having episodes like this, like obviously as we've seen on social media, a lot of people think this episode is very like fan servicing and whatever, but I think it works to the show's advantage, you know. Well, we, and can we also oh, just yeah. point out too, cause I'm, I'm tired of that fan service uh, complaint. We've had, seven years to build up these characters yeah. to get to these fan servicey moments because they make 
sense because they are predictable because if you're following the basic foundations of storytelling, you can't be subverting expectations and throwing curveballs in the bottom of the knife. You need to be trying to throw those strikes to win the freaking game. And that is what they're doing. Well, it's the it's the end. Like it's the end of the show as a whole. Like, right. Have as many emotional moments as you want. Like, exactly. Let me feel all the feels. Let me have these hoorah moments because we're not going to get them again. And Lord knows <laughs> next week, I'm sure we'll be doing this episode in tears. <laughs> exactly. So. You know, it's kind of like, it always just makes me think that like uh, fan fictions are sort of the child of TV shows that don't end on a story note that makes sense within the characters and the development of the plot. And, you know, this whole episode to me, really kind of like quenched that thirst in a way that makes sense. It didn't feel disingenuous. And I think, Matt, you said, you know, all the way back in the preview episode that we did, that as long as the things that happen in this final season seem genuine to a character's self and truth, then, you know, we're happy with it, even if it is, as people like to say, fan servicing, because it, I don't really think it's fan servicing if it's just because we as fans understand that this is sort of the direction they've been going towards this whole time. Right. The groundwork has been laid for many, many years. It's not surprising. And I mm-hmm. think that's what people are wanting. They want the the Ned Stark beheading. They want the double cross betrayal that they don't see coming. But what people don't understand is that every twist that this show has ever done was always telegraphed. Yeah. And the signs were always there. And what I love so much is that even with two episodes down, there's still a great deal of uncertainty in terms of what is to come. I mean, after next week, like what in the world? Oh, I think next week the entire chessboard is going to be reset, basically. Mm -hmm. I mean, let's get into the episode. Let's do a scene by scene breakdown. This way we can go into specifics. We can come back to some of these central themes in a little bit. But, yeah, I'm not hiding my feelings for this episode. This episode uh, just struck me right in the feels all throughout, and I absolutely adored it because I know what is to come next week. I mean, I don't know, no, but I listen, <laughs> do we really think next week is going to be happy and triumphant? <laughs> you know, I don't think so. So let's just relish in this good time while it lasts. <laughs> all right, so first scene. We start off with Jamie's trial in the Great Hall. Daenerys is upset with Jamie because he killed her father all of those years ago. And he didn't come with the Lannister troops, which uh, she also blames Tyrion for when he tries to stick up for his brother. Sansa is also against having Jamie there for what he has done to House Stark over the years. Uh, Bran tells Jamie, though, hey, you know what? The things we do for love, which harkens oh. back to what Jamie said to Bran. I screamed when Bran said that. Season oh. one, episode one, when he pushed him out the window. It reminded me of the uh, Littlefinger Chaos is a Ladder uh, line yeah. that he said to him in season seven. I just, yo, Man. Bran just comes in with the uh, the throwback lines <laughs> and everybody's like, right? yeah. <laughs> Bran, Bran's just going to say like the most famous lines in the show to everyone. He's going to like tell Tormund, I know you never fucked a bear. Gonna... You know what's really interesting to me about the scene, though, is that it was, I hadn't realized until the scene that no one knew that Jamie is the one who pushed Bran out the window. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't realize that either. Well, because Bran didn't remember who threw him out yeah. the window. He woke up and like had, had totally no memory of it. That. 
Mm-hmm. And then this whole scene, I was, I mean, I wasn't surprised that Bran wouldn't have said anything because obviously Bran, I think, is is in line with John and saying, like, we need all the men we can get, y'all. The we don't have time for this. <laughs> <laughs> but I was still shocked. I couldn't. Yeah. So then uh, Jamie looks at Brienne. Uh, when he says this goes beyond loyalty, which harkens back to something that Brienne said to Jamie in season seven. Mm-hmm. And then Brienne stands up for Jamie, uh, which gains Sansa's approval because Sansa trusts uh, Brienne. And then uh, John says they need every man that they can get, which disappoints Daenerys, but it's clear that she should let him stay. So yeah. Great Worm gives Jamie back his sword. John gives Danny the cold shoulder on the way out, probably because he's holding some important information from her right now. And Danny scolds Tyrion for failing to predict Cersei's betrayal. And she says she will find another hand who can help her take back the, take back the throne if he's not the man for the job. That seems kind of like a low blow. And yeah, so in talking about like this entire uh, scene as a whole here, um, I can understand where Daenerys is coming from. Although I also remember a conversation that Barristan and Selmy had with Daenerys back in season five before he ended up uh, dying, where he essentially told her straight up like that her father ruled through fear. And then Tyrion in season six in Battle of the Bastards tells Daenerys that, you know, uh, Ares, the Mad King, was, you know, awful and burned people alive and things like that and everything. And it's just like one of those things where I don't really know if... Daenerys, I, I think her anger, it's like founded, but at the same time, it's still like kind of, I, I felt like Bran. I, I felt like Bran where I just wanted to be like, we don't have time for this. Like, why are we doing a trial? Yeah, and, we should I, be strategizing right now. <laughs> you I know? also, though, I don't think that she ever had any intentions of actually killing him. Like, I think that she wanted to put him in his place for sure. But mm-hmm. I don't think, I don't know, y'all. Like, I'm just... No, you know what it is? Uh, I'll tell you what it is. I think she's more upset about the Cersei betrayal, and she probably thinks Jamie sure. is being sent as a spy. That I mean, that would make sense. I just, you know, I, I think, and I don't know, I'm sure we'll talk more about this in the episode, but I have just been bombarded with people coming at me saying that they don't like Daenerys anymore and that they're no longer Daenerys, blah, blah, blah. People are people are complaining about Daenerys. I don't. Really. I've I've got some thoughts on that. I'll I'll hold oh that God, for another scene later. Matt, JC, right. and I are gonna turn against you. All right. <laughs> but for now, though, for all things, uh, for for all things, for this opening scene, uh, the things I definitely liked about it was this was basically th- this was for me the Jamie Brienne episode, yeah. in many ways. Yeah. And we kind of got a recount of Jamie's entire character arc here going all the way back to season one and how he used to be. And this is like part of what this episode is ultimately about is Jamie coming to terms with the man that he once was and coming to grips with the man that he has become. Mm-hmm. Well, also the man that he wants to be. Yes, which he which is exemplified by Brienne. Mm-hmm. He wishes he could be the knight that Brienne is. Or the, the <laughs> which, which is interesting because Brienne's actually not a knight. <laughs> yes. Which we'll get to in a little bit as well. Um, but for this opening scene, though, I, I really like the tone that it did set. Because uh, also, too, we have to remember that a lot of these characters, like Sansa, for example, she has no idea what's been going on with Jamie and his adventures on his own. Mm-hmm. You know, John has no idea. John and Jamie haven't had a scene before season seven since season one. Yeah. Yeah. So a lot of these characters do not have other bits of information about the characters that 
you know, we know about. So when Brienne stands up and says he defended me and got his hand cut off for it and then Sansa, you know, mm-hmm. backs her as well. It's like, yes, yes, yeah. this is, fen- yes, like this all makes sense. Matt, when you say that comment about Sansa, I have to say that this episode for me did sort of like, because I've always been like, oh, Sansa's such a bitch. Like I can't. Oh my God. <laughs> but you know what? Like this episode, I I kind of, I'm coming around to Sansa a little bit because I really felt like she was she was taking on more traits of Cersei than than anybody really wanted to admit. And I think this episode once again kind of showed that no, like even though she understands Cersei, I don't she still clearly does trust the people who have who have been loyal to her. In the same way that Daenerys trusts people who have been loyal to her, and that's all I'm going to say about it. No, no offense to Dave Hill, the writer of the first episode, but I just, I, I just think Brian Cogman understands the characters maybe just a little bit better. Yeah. And I feel like a lot that was introduced in C- in the first episode that kind of like got us a little, oh god, like Sansa's distrusting Danny. Oh no, there's going to be conflict between the two of them. This was like an episode where I really genuinely felt like. A lot of the frustrations I felt in the first episode with some of these uh, behind the scenes political intrigue and uh, the suspicions that other characters have towards one another, I felt like they, while it was still there, they handled it in a much smarter way this time around. I agree. And characters behaved the way that we would expect them to if they were being more practical instead of emotional. So... Uh, moving on to the next scene, uh, we see Gendry forging weapons from the dragon glass. Arya approaches and eyes like him while he works, uh, all hot and sweaty, banging shit. Ooh. She asks if he's uh, made There's her weapon yet. There's a shot of him where he like purposely flexes his bicep and forearm while he's like steaming something. And well, that's like, a callback to season, I think, yeah, season yeah, two like, or something like that. Damn, Gendry. <laughs> yeah. Because I remember she checked him out when he was doing that exact same pose yeah. back in like season two. I totally remember that. Uh, so she asks if he's made her weapon yet and Gendry hasn't made it yet and he underestimates Arya's abilities saying that you know is she going to fight in the crypts or is she planning on fighting like what's she doing Arya wants to know what it's like to fight the dead because Gendry has fought them before back in season 7 Gendry tells Arya that they're like death personified Arya says how familiar she is with death and she looks forward to meeting it she throws the dragon glass arrows against a wall all in the exact same spot showcasing her skills and demands that her weapon again before she leaves. And now Gendry is scared and horny. <laughs> he is horny. He's got a winter in his pants that's He's coming out. I'm glad that they had one more scene in between uh, that scene they had in the premiere and a scene they have later because mm-hmm. without this other scene, if they had just gone from A to Z like that, I definitely would have been a little bit more shell-shocked than I already was. Yeah, it builds the tension. I like it. Agreed. Hey everyone, sorry to interrupt, but this is a preview of our full review of Game of Thrones Season 8, Episode 2, titled A Night of the Seven Kingdoms. In order to get the full review, you will have to head on over to our Patreon channel at Next Best Picture, where for $1 minimum a month, you can get this review, along with other exclusive podcast content from us. Be sure to subscribe to the Next Best Picture podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, Player FM, Acast, and also on CastBox. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback as well as your support. Thank you for listening. We will be back with Episode 3 of Game of Thrones next week. 
And remember, in order to get the full reviews, you will have to subscribe to the Patreon channel at Next Best Picture. Thank you once again for listening, as always, and we shall see you all next time. I cannot give you back your homes or restore your dead to life, but perhaps I can give you justice in the name of our king. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.